This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. The racial divide in America appears to have expanded significantly in recent times. We'll hear from a civic leader and businessman who believes Americans can solve racial problems together. It can't take too long. It can't be too unfair. The solutions then would say we have to solve this because we've decided this has to change. Then, opioid addiction is a widespread problem. But a recent study appears to show that a common, low-cost supplement could greatly reduce opioid dependence and addiction. This was something we could test in mice. They became much more dependent on opiates. They had withdrawal symptoms much more dramatically. Those two stories and more are ahead on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. There's a widening racial divide in America. One civic leader believes that Americans can solve racial problems together, and he offers ways to do just that. With more, here's InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. As Americans ask how the country became so deeply divided along racial lines, they also ask what can be done. A prominent businessman is seeking to answer that. Mel Gravely II is now out with a book, Dear White Friend, The Realities of Race, The Power of Relationships, and Our Path to Equity. In addition to being CEO of a construction firm, Gravely's background includes extensive training on mediation, conflict resolution, cultural diversity, and team building. Mr. Gravely, you write, and I quote, you are not a racist, but you are a benefiting bystander. Talk about that and what it means. Well, it's great to be with you, Gina. What do I mean by that? I want my white friends to know, and if you think about it, I'm writing this as a series of letters to my white friends expressing my understanding of our situation with race. And I want my white friends to know I don't think that they are racist. That is not what I would think of them at all. But I do believe that they have been watching as things were happening and not speaking out not seeking to understand more deeply, not asking questions that they could ask, and therefore benefiting in the process. And so I wanted to make that point very clear. The language, you are not a racist, seems disarming and removes the finger pointing. Is that central to getting conversations going? Well, uh, in my mind it is, and I'm glad you picked up on that. I am writing to my friends, and I don't know how I can write to my friends and call them names. I don't typically call my friends by names of that nature. And I think it is important if we're going to have a long-term solution-driven conversation, we've got to lower the temperature. We've got to be careful with the words that we use and really seek to understand how we all got to this place because we all traveled a path. And my white friends traveled a path. And quite honestly, in a lot of ways, I understand why they think what they think because of their set of experiences and where they've been. You say confidently that Americans can solve racial problems together. What do you see or perceive that gives you the confidence on that? 
first, I think it's based in my belief that my friends are my friends. They have good hearts and good intentions. And if they knew better, they would do better. So it starts with that premise that I really do believe that is true. My second premise is it was baked into the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. And I think nowadays we would reframe that to say all men and women or all people are created equal. And we're given these inalienable rights. And if we can build a country based on that promise, then we together can solve for the solutions that give us all that same promise. And so, you know, my hope rests in that. And quite honestly, Gina, I don't think I have a whole lot of options other than to be hopeful that we can find solutions together. And you note that there's a difference between racial equality and mere equality. Yeah. Talk about that. To me, equal means it's the monopoly game, right? We all start with the same amount of money. We all start at the same time. We all get $200 when we pass go. And however that game turns out is how it turns out. It's a little bit of the roll of the dice. It's a little bit out of your skill and your decision making. But in essence, we are all equal. But imagine playing that same game. And you and I got to start you know, at the beginning of the game. And our peers, two other folks, didn't get a chance to start for an hour after. And maybe two more people didn't get a chance to start for two hours after. You and I have locked down half the property on the board. Now when people land on our property, they have to pay money instead of make money. And imagine the disadvantage they're in going forward now. And quite honestly, that experiment was actually done at North Carolina A&T by a professor. And the research is consistent. The people who entered that game later almost never won. And they also lost interest in playing the game. They lost motivation for even trying and quite honestly, oftentimes wanted to end up in jail so that they could stop paying to land on other people's property. And I know that takes the example out to extremes, but here's the point. If we would have all started together at the same time with the same resources and the same opportunity, I think we could talk about equality. But now we've got to talk about equity, which is adding a bit of common sense and context to the situation we're in right now. And I write about that quite a bit in the book. We're visiting with Mel Gravely II, author of Dear White Friend, The Realities of Race, The Power of Relationships, and Our Path to Equity. In the book, you ask readers to ask themselves, and I quote, what's my role in all of this? So give us the top solution-oriented steps that white Americans could take. Let me give you the one I suggest to all of my white friends. Get a little bit more educated about this topic. Get a little bit out of your silo, out of your echo chamber of the things that make you feel comfortable and the things that you've come to believe and do a little of your own research. Do a little of your own reading. Expose yourself to black art, to black experiences that will enable your awareness and will also ignite your empathy as well. So first, I would say go learn more. Go get a little bit smarter about it. Second is take a look around at your network, at your environment at the place where you work, if you have hiring decisions, at how you buy, and are there things you can do intentionally to increase the engagement of people of color in opportunity and decrease the engagement of people of color to negative elements? Again, as I mentioned, those can be things about how we're spending our dollars. Where are we going to restaurants? Where are we going to plays? What's in our supply chain? Who's in our C-suite? What do our hiring practices look like? So those are just a couple of practical things I think that Americans can do, all Americans can do. When we know more, we'll become closer together to each other. It's hard to hate once you become more familiar with someone. And I think I invite both my black and my white friends to go learn a bit more. And similarly, what are three top things that black Americans can do towards solutions? I would start with the same one. You know, really seek to understand where are your white friends coming from? 
Why are they saying what they're saying? Why are they believing what they believe? Because that, too, is rooted in their reality and in their history. And they have a right to have those feelings. And let's honor that. Second, I think that there are ways to engage in a more productive conversation. I do admit in the book that we probably as black Americans are more inept at explaining our frustration than we are at talking about solutions. And so finding better language, finding specific things that we're asking for, things that we're willing to go do together. How can we go solve problems? I'll give you a great example. If indeed you find something in your community that you believe together, you can go make a difference in whether it's a school system or if it's a local park or if it's a senior citizen center, find a biracial or multiracial group that can go engage on something like that. So more productive ways to engage, more understanding on the part of all of us, I think will take us a long way. Over the years, in spite of many commissions to investigate the causes of unrest, the racial gap does remain, as you point out. You propose two steps, so let's take them one at a time. First, acknowledge the problem. What can that lead to? Well, let's take the opposite. Any problem that exists, if you will not or cannot acknowledge that it's actually a problem, you've got no hope to solve for it. So I'm calling people to acknowledge that we have a problem, to look at the data, the history, the facts, the figures, and the outcomes and say, America has a problem. When we acknowledge it, it turns us to a different place. Instead of denial or diminishing the magnitude of the situation, we're now going to flip to saying, okay, we've got a problem. What are the solutions? It's much like an illness. You admit you have a weight problem. You admit you have a high blood pressure problem. You can turn to solutions to help you solve that. Same thing here. So acknowledgement is critically important. And in my opinion, it's probably why we haven't made the kind of progress, especially in the last 50 years, that we made prior to. And I think we did make some progress in the civil rights era, but we've not made a whole lot of progress since that. And part of it is we've been refusing to acknowledge we've got a problem. And the second step is decide. Decide what? Yeah, decide it's time for it to be different. In the book, I actually put introduce a controversial figure. I said, you know, much like Malcolm X would say, Malcolm X, the human rights activist of the 60s, would say, by any means necessary. And I don't mean that in any violence at all. But what I do mean is decide that it has to change in a way that will take the limits off of the solutions. If we acknowledge we have a problem and we decide it has to change, then it can't cost too much. It can't take too long. It can't be too unfair. The solutions then would say we have to solve this because we've decided this has to change. And so it's a determination that because we're going to struggle, we're going to try some things that aren't going to work. These are difficult, complex problems, and it'll take years and a lot of efforts to change. But when you decide with that definitive decision, that no turning back decision, burn the boats, we're not going back type of approach, then it tells you to keep trying and trying new solutions and new ideas until you make progress. Mel Gravely II, author of Dear White Friend, The Realities of Race, The Power of Relationships, and Our Path to Equity. Thank you for joining us today. Gina, thanks for having me. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. Next, a possible way to treat opioid addiction. That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 